Welcome to the Legit Lady Podcast, where we feature women who are nailing it in life. Hey, Legit Lady listeners. Thanks so much for tuning in. This is your host with the most, Julie Fetterman. And welcome to the podcast where we feature impressive women to inspire the world. Woohoo! I'm really excited for this week's episode. And before we jump in to introduce our wonderful guest, a couple of quick things I want to call out. Big, big, big thank you to everyone who's been writing reviews lately on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Facebook, on everywhere and subscribing. This really, really helps us continue to do what we do best. So thank you so much for that. So in true form, I'm going to head over to iTunes this week and read out one of our latest reviews. So this one's from Stephen Amoa, and he says, amazing podcast. The value I get is hearing from diverse perspectives of women of various races who have different career occupations. Awesome. Thank you. I really like that review because it's a a little bit unique um, in comparison to some of the other wonderful reviews. And it actually explicitly calls out the diversity that we try really hard to represent in this podcast. So the whole point of this podcast is to provide voice and provide a great platform that's meaningful from uh, people and for people of various backgrounds, race, gender, sexuality, occupations, etc., And I really want to be able to encourage and inspire those of you who are listening to see yourselves reflected in some of these stories that you're hearing. And if not, then hopefully it's a great opportunity for you to learn and grow in yourself. So thank you, Stephen. Really great review. And another big call out is for those of you who feel very compelled to go out of your way to continue to contribute and help support the podcast, aside from sharing it with your nearest and dearest friends and acquaintances, is feel free to, uh, if you have a couple dollars to share, uh, head over to ko-fi.com slash legitladypodcast. This is a really great opportunity for you to, uh, it's almost like an online tip jar, opportunity for you to take me out for a virtual coffee air quotes here, virtual coffee or virtual drink. Uh, Great way to help show monetary uh, thanks to what we're doing here in the Legit Lady podcast world because podcasting is not free, even down to the batteries needed for a recorder to work. It does all take dollars to make it operate. So it's really helpful for those of you who uh, would like to support us. And last thing here is if you have any feedback on the podcast or maybe you have a legit lady in your life who you think would be a fantastic guest for us, maybe it's someone who does something that's really unique to anything that we've even talked about or released, then please send us a note at legitladypodcast at gmail.com. Alrighty. This week's guest is no average human being. I had the pleasure of getting to know her when I was in university and always looked up to her. She was always driven and doing all sorts of incredible things. Uh, This individual might be someone you've seen from the London 2012 Olympics or perhaps in the 2015 Pan Am Games. She's the founder of the Believe Initiative. She is an absolute rock star owner of the 400 meter hurdle. I am so excited to share with you 
the story of Sarah Wells. Sarah, thank you so much for being here. It has been forever since I've seen you. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Last time we chatted was at least maybe five or six years ago too. Yeah, certainly. You've been all over the place, moving and shaking, and I'm so happy to have you here on the Legit Lady Podcast. (laughs) (laughs) So today we're going to get to know you through 10 main questions and lots of follow-up in between. Are you ready? Let's do it. Awesome. So to kick things off, let's dive in with question number one, which is what advice would you give to your teenage self? So I would certainly say the importance of not letting my circumstances define my outcome. So I think far more often, um, you know, myself and, and I've seen this with my siblings or like people around me, like friends, where we can count ourselves out before the race, and I'm using air quotations right now for everyone who can't see me. Um, we count ourselves out of the race before it's ever even over. And I know from myself, I've made certain choices thinking like, oh my gosh, like I'm now put in the worst situation, which means this, which means that, which means this. And so you start telling yourself a story that's like not even close to being true, but you come up with the ending before you have all of the answers, before you've tried necessarily everything. And so I think really not letting my circumstances define the outcome. Yeah, I find myself slipping into that from time to time. And you just spiral out doing Mm -hmm. that, which totally sucks. Uh, So can you give me an example of when you were a teenager and that helped make or break or totally redefine how you approached a certain thing that you did? Yeah. um, So in sport, which is a large number of my examples will come from that, obviously. um, I am I was at a practice and I was in actually, so this is actually from university, but I had been having like a tough week. My exam schedule was really terrible. I was like exhausted and, and just kind of like had the perfect storm for potentially having a bad workout. And I got to that practice and I had kind of just like decided before it even started Mm -hmm. that I wasn't going to make it through. And so I start the first interval and my time, my coach had given me times that we were supposed to hit. And in the first like two, three intervals, I'm actually running faster than I was supposed to. And, um, I end up like, by the time I get to like one of the hardest reps halfway through kind of just convincing myself that I shouldn't be able to make it through. And so while everything else in that workout had told me like my energy levels are fine, I'm, I'm perfectly good to be able to probably battle through this workout. I had decided that like, no, this is a really heavy week. I should be exhausted. I'm probably not going to be able to hit the time. And so I felt myself, you know, halfway through just kind of give up mm-hmm. and not try to like in the toughest part of the workout, it's always going to be hard. It's always going to feel challenging. And instead of fighting through that and probably hitting the time, I instead just kind of like, decided I shouldn't and or that I wouldn't be able to and and felt myself gave up and physically slow down Uh and only to miss the time and then recover quick enough to know that like I had more in me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It was like a self-fulfilling prophecy. Certainly. You just talked yourself out of it. Yeah. No, exactly. And, you know, that happens, you know, on microcosms as well. Not as necessarily like entire big workout, but like, I don't know, silly stuff like, oh, I'm not going to 
I'm not going to make it there on time, so I shouldn't go meet up with that friend. And it's like, well, if you're <laughs> going to be 15 minutes late, it's probably not that big of a deal. You don't need to count yourself out of like an encounter of having potentially like a really engaging conversation or learning something new about that person or whatever it may be. So yeah. so funny. That's the exact example that popped into my head when you said that. I was like, oh, I'm not going to make the subway on time. I'm right. Just literally like, ah, oh, typical <laughs> Torontonian. Just blame the TTC for everything. Um, and around high school, that's when you started getting into running and all of that stuff, correct? Mm -hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about that journey of what got you into that and what inspired you to really decide to do this full time? Yeah. So people ask me like, you know, how did you know you're going to become an Olympian? When did you know you'd become an Olympian? And <laughs> I didn't know that. Like I really didn't. Ah. Um, I had tried it. I got to high school and was like, okay, I'm going to be, I'm going to be a sporty girl. Like um, I'm into that. Like I, I can be that, <laughs> that person. Sporty spice. Girl. Yeah, okay. exactly. Yeah. Very much spice girls inspired me. So um, <laughs> I picked my character and yes. stuck to it. Yes. And tried out for the basketball team, volleyball team, badminton team, soccer team, every team and got cut from every single one of those teams. Aww. And so eventually just kind of thought like, okay, this is a sign I must be the least athletic human on the planet. And then like was tired of trying out for teams, but had a teacher who happened to also, also be the varsity hurdles coach at University of Toronto. And he is a teacher at my high school. And so he sees me in gym class and he's like, you need to do track and field. And I'm like, man, have you tried running? Like, it's terrible. Like, I have no interest in that. It's like the punishment of every other sport. I'm good. And he's like, no, no, no. I think you have what it takes. And so I went out for the team. They don't make cuts. So I made that team, luckily. And I found hurdles. And hurdles to me made running super fun. Like it was no longer like gun goes off. Now all you can think about is how long you have left till the finish line. But instead you're kind of thinking about your rhythm and like which leg and how do you get over it faster and how do you not screw it up and don't hit it. And so there's so much to think about that isn't just the pain of running that it made it really fun for me. And I started training with that coach. And within eight months, we made the world youth team. And I went to Marrakesh, Morocco and competed for Canada for the very first time. Whoa, in eight months? Yeah. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. So from that, just kind of decided like, okay, like, I, I guess he's right. Like, I must, I must actually be good. And also, it was just this like mind-blowing experience to be on Team Canada and travel across the world at, as 15 years old and just be like, okay, this is a way to see the world. And... Yeah just through sport. It was wild. So did he ever articulate what he saw in you? Yes. Um, he said that when he would see me in like a sport, he would see me run after the ball. I would get there and then I would like lose all momentum, do nothing with that and then <laughs> run after the ball. And he's like, so I knew you could hurdle because that way you could run and then jump, probably lose all your momentum and then sprint again and keep going. So he's like, I knew you could do that. Amazing. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. And Fun fact, that high school teacher stayed my coach for nine years until we made the Olympics together. Wow. Yeah. Is he still a, a coach of yours or still involved in your, your training life? So no longer uh, my coach. We stopped working together the year after my first Olympics, so um, in 2013. Mm -hmm. And we still very much stay in touch. He will forever be you know, like a second father figure in my life. Like he essentially partially raised me from 15 years to, you know, 28, 29 years old. So um, he, no, actually not even that long. It was like 20, 23 years old, 23 <laughs> to 24. Yeah. Um, 
so yeah, he's he's still like I very I talk to him all the time. We'll discuss, you know, after races sometimes what's going on and what's happening in my life. I'm seeing him this week actually. Oh yeah. wow. <laughs> That's so great that you keep in touch because obviously it's such a, a big central part of your life. Mm-hmm. I feel like if you're training for something, you just become so immersed in practices and the people affiliated with all of that. Um that's so cool. Yeah, it's pretty wild. And people are like really mind blown when I tell them. It's kind of, it's very unheard of to have the same coach from the day you started to the day you make the Olympics. Mm-hmm. Well, and considering you competed in the Olympics, I have a whole bunch of questions for you around that. Because yep. it's really not every day that I speak to someone who's been in the Olympics, right? It's not <laughs> like, yeah, okay, yeah, it's very average conversation topic. Right? <laughs> and being an athlete, your body is effectively your instrument. Mm-hmm. How do you prepare for or care for your body on the on season versus, say, the off season? What types of things do you do? Yeah, so there's probably, I would say, I'm going to give it four layers of on season, off season, because there's the true off season where you actually take one month completely off. You don't think about running. You don't even exercise. You eat whatever you want. You do all that junk. What month is that? That's the month of September. Oh, okay. Nice. (laughs) Um, And so in September, you come back and you are a blob because you haven't, you haven't done anything for your body that's good for it in the last like four weeks. Mm -hmm. And that's intentional because you need a break from living such a structured and rigid life. Um, but so that month you have the time of your life. Then you come back at the beginning. <laughs> what, do you, what do you do? Like, what is it? What's your hardcore indulgence in that? Well, like everyone I've ever met wants to party with me because <laughs> they haven't, they haven't for 11 months. Right. And so it's like, I have like Thursday, Friday, Saturday booked with a different like grouping of friends or <laughs> collection of people that will be like, okay, we get Thursday, you get Saturday. Like, yeah, it's pretty funny. <laughs> And my siblings call me Fun Sarah in that mo- oh, in that month. They're like, no. Fun Sarah's coming out. <laughs> so other than that, you can see me with a glass of water in my hand 11, 11 months of the year. Oh, yeah. Um, yes. So then we come back from that month, beginning of October. Um, and like those next few months, like probably October, November, a bit of December, you're still you're really high volume and you're really low intensity. Not really low. You're lower intensity and higher volume. So for that, it's like, like lots of intervals, slower paced, and you're like just trying to build that foundation. Then you'll move into the next phase through the winter, like January to March. That's more like kind of a little bit of both and your high intensity and high volume. And this is where you get like a serious amount of work done and then move into the um, spring session where now you're getting closer to competition. So you're starting to drop that volume a bit more and then really like keep that intensity pretty high. And then come the competition season, you're potentially just racing where it's one race, like the volume is almost, you know, potentially just one rep and, but it's the highest intensity you run till you absolutely die. Like you (laughs) might be sick at the end of the race. And so through those phases, the way I take care of my body is obviously very different Mm -hmm. because when it is really high volume, then you can handle a bit more like calorically dense food and be a bit more lenient. You're not as close to competition. You can kind of, you can afford those life choices that aren't as great. Pizza for days. (laughs) (laughs) But come that competition season where it's like one rep and done and it's super high intensity and 0.05 matters, well, then every minute choice you make matters. And so you're sleeping really well in those moments. You are really trying to cut out refined sugar. You are 
ensuring that you're getting your recovery. You're eating, you know, 15 minutes after you complete your workout to ensure you get all that fuel back inside. Like you just simply can't afford to have any mini screw ups in that moment. And that's why after that peak of like such high intensity, everything and all of those life choices, that true off season month comes at such a timely um, yep. time because you're like, okay, now I'm ready to just be reckless. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. All the pumpkin pie. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Exactly. <laughs> like all the treats, brownies, oh. cupcakes, count me in. That sounds awesome. And do you work with a nutritionist or do you, are you now just responsible for your own intake and balance of all that food? Um, I do work with a nutritionist, but she isn't like handing me meal plan mm -hmm. plans. Like we're, we're looking more holistically at my diet and like where we think we should be based on, you know, what is my percentage body fat that I want to be at for competition? What is like, yeah, where, where mm -hmm. do I want to fall and how close am I to that goal? Am I maintaining? Am I trying to lose weight? Am I trying to gain weight? What's happening? So mm -hmm. um, she'll help me with those things, but like largely it's, it is up to me to manage what that diet looks like. And I've been in the sport long enough now that I, I kind of know what that looks like and it's just a matter of being disciplined enough to make make that choice. Yeah, and we have degrees in physical health and education. So you have some baseline yeah. education there too, yeah, which that, helps. That helps. <laughs> <laughs> and four years I spent looking at that. Yeah. I know, oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, talk about having to perform on like a world stage while in the <laughs> thick of a really demanding degree. Just, you know, small details. <laughs> and, and when you are competing, especially since you've been in this for so many years, do you find that the size of audience or the kind of competition makes a difference? Do you feel any different? Yeah, certainly. Um, I'm a person who, who performs well under pressure. I like, I, I have said before that. <laughs> Great well, career choice then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I, I really believe that pressure is a privilege. Like you only get pressure when you have something to prove, when you have something that is, you know, you've shown people that you have something. And so when I am in front of a bigger crowd and I'm expected to win, like, am I scared? Yes, absolutely. But am I like honored to be in that position? Like, hell yeah. Like that's pretty damn cool that you're in a position that it's possible. And so um, I think sometimes if there isn't a crowd, if it is kind of a small, like local meet, Luckily, my sport is demanding enough that you're you feel a little bit of pressure because you know you have to run till you potentially make yourself sick, and so it is. Sounds like fun. Yeah, I know <laughs> it's definitely a love hate relationship. Um, but that pressure of like knowing you want to perform your best, knowing that I'm against the clock every time, like regardless if I win the race or not, I'll be able to put it put that time up next to my best time and know how far away I was. So I think feeling that pressure, I can feel it more so in front of a crowd that's expecting me to win and I can feel that energy and like want it for myself, but also want it for those people that are in the stands supporting me and who have been there for the journey and things like that. Um, but then, and if it is a smaller meet where I like might not know anyone and might not feel like it's as big of a deal, it is harder to, to, to pull from that energy and, and like get yourself up or like feel as engaged or as, motivated to like leave it all out there mm -hmm. have you ever felt that pressure take your brain to a negative space at any point yeah um i yes certainly with that <clears throat> i have so the year before the olympics of 2012 and 2011 
I sat out with an injury and I had a stress fracture in my femur and originally it was supposed to be three months. And I was like heartbroken at that fact because I had never touched Olympic standard before, yet I had been training for the Olympics and I had been telling everyone I'm going to make these games. This is my dream. Like this is what I've been training for. And now I'm told I have to sit down the year before the Olympics for three months. And I'm like, no, I need every day, every week, every month to make this happen. So mm -hmm. this can't be happening. And so I kind of like cry myself to sleep and try to stay fit and try to stay motivated. And week after week, I go to these like deep, dark places and question my self-worth of who I am if I don't make the Olympics. And what's funny is we actually had a professor at U of T that we were in a violence of sport class. No one else probably remembers this, but we were sitting there and then he's like, you know, t talks about the violence in sport that we have in our own heads that we like disrespect ourselves so frequently and we'll say stuff like, you know, like you can't, you won't, you're terrible, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, you know, the thing is that a lot of people actually set their expect expect expectations so high that they'll never meet them. So they get into this voice because he's like, there's tons of people who grow up as little kids saying they want to become Olympians, but it won't happen. And he looks at me and says, sorry, Sarah. And uh, was that Paul Dennis or no, no it was, was it? Um, the guy, mm. dude with all the tattoos. Oh, he was so cool. A Atkin? Atkins? Okay, okay. Do you remember? Vaguely, vaguely. He was like such a cool prof. I actually <laughs> loved him. I don't even dislike him for what he said. He was just saying what was like, he's just like Top a real dude. You yeah. know, like he'll just call it how it is. Exactly. And that's largely, I guess, whatever, how it was. That was kind of a tangent to what I wanted to say. But that Go story, so he's talking about that. And so he's he also kind of doesn't believe that this is going to take place. And And I've been sitting out now the year before the Olympics. And so... It's like everyone around me is reminding me to remain realistic, that this is already an impossible goal. There's no way that this can happen. And three months ended up turning into nine months. So it took significantly longer than we ever thought. And now after sitting out for nine months, the year before the Olympics, it's like, if, you did, if they didn't think it was possible before, now they really don't think it's possible. But on my first day back to training, I got the word believe tattooed onto my wrist. And I said, when I make the Olympic games, I will put the Olympic rings underneath here. And so with only eight months left to get back to who I was and then improve upon that, I set out and I actually ended up having to go back in for surgery for a hernia that I tore one month to being back. Jeez. So with six months to go before the Olympic Games, I, in the word believe tattooed on my wrist, I eventually, over the course of six months, not only just like make it to the Olympic Games, but then finish as an Olympic semifinalist and one of the youngest competitors in the field. And so that was awesome because I had was faced with this challenge and I got the word believe tattooed on my wrist and then and then I qualify for the Olympics and I go to London and I prove everyone wrong and I do it for myself and it's awesome. But the Olympics comes back around every four years. And <laughs> I had been continuing to develop and continuing to get better and stronger and I had just won a silver medal to the number one ranked girl in the world that year Boom. at the 2015 Pan Am Games. And so after achieving, you know, both of these successes of overcoming this obstacle in 2012 and then winning this medal in 2015. You also got a bronze in 2015, didn't you? Yeah, in the relay. Yeah. Yeah, you're like, no big deal, whatever. <laughs> Not even worth mentioning. <laughs> um, but I had continued to have that success. And so mm -hmm. suddenly, while well, I'm now convincing myself that this next dream in the 2016 Olympics of like being an Olympic finalist and potentially an Olympic medalist, as I'm saying that to myself, I'm also starting to hear that from like everyone else around me. Like, well, you were at the last Olympics, so you'll be at the next Olympics, right? And you won a medal at Pan Am, so you're going to win a medal at the Olympics, right? And, Doesn't work like that. <laughs> yeah. And so suddenly that pressure, that stress, you know, going back to the, the question that prompted this story mm -hmm. of like, when has that pressure and stress gone negative is I started to let this expectation I thought I thought others had on me affect the way that I made decisions for my health. And so I had a workout on a Tuesday. 
and I had an incredible workout. It was two months before the 2016 Olympic trials. And on that Tuesday, I ran so fast, probably the fastest I've ever gone, went to sleep that night and I was thinking like, damn, I'm good. Like I am fast. <laughs> and the next Wednesday I woke up and I had really, really tight hamstrings, which makes perfect sense because I had just gone the fastest I had ever gone the day before. And so I was like, mm, should I work out today? But I looked at the workout schedule and I had another really big workout planned. And in my brain, I started to think, well, if I don't do this workout, then I'm not doing everything I can. If I'm not doing everything I can, I'm not going to make it to the Olympics. If I don't make the Olympics, I'm not going to win a medal. If I don't win a medal, I'm going to let everyone down. Ooh, spiral. And so <laughs> I choose to work out anyways. And at the workout, about halfway through, my coach, he's like, you know, Sarah, you look a bit tired today. Like, let's just stop here. There's no point in keep going. Like, let's just shut it down. And again, that mindset of like, oh my God, everyone's expecting me to do this. I was like, no, 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 I can't stop. So I trick him into saying like, no, let's play a game. This will be really fun. And I'm like, let's run the next interval. And if I run the next interval slower, I'll stop. But if I run the next interval the same or better, you have to let me keep going. And so he's like, okay, like who asked for more running? Go ahead. And so I start running and I'm like pouring everything into this interval because I have to run the same or better in order to keep going. And about 30 meters before the finish line, if you can imagine what it feels like to have like a Ziploc bag full of air, so tightly sealed, placed in the back of your leg and then have someone just stomp on it. That's what it felt like when I face planted to the floor, ripped an inch tear in my hamstring. Oh. And two months before the 2016 Olympic trials, I was faced with like the biggest hurdle in my career. No pun intended. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so I realized that night that in 2012, I truthfully think no one thought I could make the Olympic Games and and no one, I think, really believed it. But but I believed in myself so strongly. And so all my choices came out of what was best for me, what was my intention with this goal? What was how many times was I gonna get back up for me mm -hmm. for this goal? And now in 2016, it was like that driving force, that self-belief. It wasn't coming from within me. It was coming because I felt like I had to, because I needed to prove others wrong, because I needed to show everyone that I could, like, because I felt this pressure and stress. And then that's what started to make, like, kind of be the driving force of my decisions. Um, and so I I really think how I let that that pressure and that stress take me to a side of, of now, like, this demise, essentially, um, because I eventually later went on and and got my hamstring back to about 90% and then tried to race at Olympic trials and got fourth and only top three make the Olympics. And so I ended oh. up missing qualifying in 2016 by half a second. So close. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah. And so how do you take yourself out of that mindset and come back, be resilient and do it for those intrinsic reasons? So for me, it largely came back into like just really reflecting on like, why am I doing it? And what what do I love about the sport? What do I want this goal for? And I think, you know, so often in many of like the motivational speaking engagements that I do, I talk about the importance of always getting back up and how you have to be willing to overcome any obstacle in your way in order to go after what you want. And you are not going to be able to do that if you're doing it for other people. It's going to be so hard because when you feel defeated, when you feel deflated, the last thing you want to do is get back up. But you can if it's your desire for you is so strong that it will like pull you up off the floor. But I would say more often than not, if that's if your driving force is going to be extrinsic, if it's coming from other people, you're not you're not going to be able to overcome any obstacle in your way in order to go after what you want. That's a really great reminder. 
especially as we grow up into functional or semi-functional adults, there's so much that we do out of a state of expectation based on others, whether mm. it's our family or our partners or our job or our work. We are very good at telling ourselves stories of why we should be doing the things that we're doing, even if they're not making us happy. Mm -hmm. And so it keeps us from doing the things that really make us happy. So I think that's a great way to be able to self-reflect and just think about why we do the things that we do. Mm -hmm. Thank you for sharing that. So I want to move back to the questions, the official 10 questions. Mm -hmm. I feel like I could be talking to you all day. And question two is, what's your proudest accomplishment i'm sure you've had one or two but just to talk about one <laughs> yeah um so in this moment it would be easy to say sport for sure um you know making the olympic games like having that moment where i crossed the finish line i know i've made it my siblings are in the stands like they came running over like oh my god you did it oh my god and i'm just like looking up at them saying like this is the best day of my whole life this is the best day of my whole life and Aww. it's like <laughs> that moment was surreal and mm -hmm. i am definitely proud of it but I think the thing I'm the most proud of now is through those two stories that I just mentioned about like getting back up and believing in myself and making the 2012 Olympic Games, but then getting back up, believing in myself and missing qualifying by half a second at the 2016 Olympic Games. That story I've now used to create a program that I've called the Believe Initiative. And the Believe Initiative has gone across the country in four provinces. We've spoke to over 30,000 students at this point. And we talk about the importance of being resilient and the power of believing in yourself. And what's wow. crazy is that these 30,000 students, like when I first started this, you know, under two years ago, I was just kind of using my story almost as a healing mechanism for me after 2016. And also because I wanted to help be that person for other people that could kind of help spark that self-belief. Because I wouldn't have found track and field. I wouldn't have had the vehicle that I had to learn so many lessons, to meet so many people, go to so many places without the sport of track and field. And I wouldn't have started track and field unless that coach way back in high school believed in me first. And without him, I wouldn't be here. So this program was to kind of use my story to be that figure for as many students as possible. And like I said, now 30,000 students, I have like emails or, you know, social media direct messages where students will say like, you changed my life. And they'll report back like, oh. you know, months later about like something that's gone on since they have engaged with Believe Initiative programming and and what that's done for their self-confidence or, you know, this accomplishment that they had weighing the window or this like standing up to a friend or a parent or whatever. And I think I'm just most proud of the fact that like my story can inspire these students and what I've been able to to help like these 30,000 people with. And so it's pretty wild. And I, and I never thought at the beginning that it would cause this much impact, but it has. And I'm, I'm very proud and I'm like honored to have the platform I have to be able to engage with these these young people. That sounds so inspirational. And tell us a little bit about how this initiative manifests. So it sounds like you're doing public speaking. Are there other engagements or workshops or things like that that are part of this? Mm -hmm. Yeah, great question. So the Believe Initiative is consists of in-school events. So there are like motivational speeches and, and events like that. Um, we also have mentorship where we help students kind of get linked up with a mentor to help talk through maybe something that they have a passion for. Um, and we provide an opportunity 
for students to cultivate their own Believe Passion project. So if a school is involved with the complete program, they get a keynote at their school for all of their intermediate students. Then they come back together with multiple schools who have had the keynote and come all together for a summit event. And the summit event is this big workshop day where they engage in stuff where they define what's a vision that they have, what's a purpose that they have, what's an impact they might want to make in the world. And by the end of that summit, they all choose a Believe Passion Project, which is where they use something that they're interested in, whatever it may be, and then believe in themselves strongly enough to then use that passion to make an impact either in their own lives or in others. And then over the course of the next eight to 10 weeks, they build out those passion projects in their classrooms. And then the third piece is that they have an inspiration fair, which is like a science fair, <laughs> but Aww. for inspirational projects. That's and they awesome. show what the impact was for, for these things. And so it's awesome because we get to do these in-person events. We get to engage as like mentors. And then we get to see the impact that these students create themselves just by believing in themselves. Um, and so it kind of like manifests, you know, beyond us and transcends beyond the event itself, which is really cool. Um, and to give you an example, I was going to ask, yeah. yeah, tell us some examples of some things that yeah. students have done. So um, one student last year, his passion was shoes. He's like, Nike has this shoe out and Kanye releases this. And like, he's got, you know, <laughs> the whole list of everything that's about to come out. And so he decided to go on the school announcements, ask kids to bring in shoes that they no longer needed. And then... Um, got his friends at recess to use sneaker cleaning kits to then clean up the shoes and donate them to a youth shelter for students who would never be able to afford cool Nikes or whatever it may be. Aww. So yeah, super adorable. Another girl, her passion was photography and animals. She took pictures of her dog and her friend's dog and made a calendar out of it and got pre-orders from her family and friends and then used the profit um, of how much it took to make a calendar and how much she sold it for to then donate those funds to a, the Humane Society. So an and she wanted to afford a shot for an animal, so it would be more likely to be adopted. Oh, I know. <laughs> my heart is growing I like know. four sizes. It's like such good ideas. They're so smart. There's like, yeah, they're, they're, they're so great. That is incredible. And how can a school or students get involved in this? So um, they can go to the website, believeinitiative.com. And we have a contact us page. We list kind of the different things because even if they don't want to be a part of the complete program, which has all these touch points, we um, also have just our curriculum where we'll give you the kit that basically helps those students and guides the teachers how to build those Believe Passion projects. And the end goal of that is to upload a video of what did they do? What was the impact? What was the times they had to believe in themselves? What were the obstacles they overcame? And we actually will pull from our Believe Passion Project hub from these videos that the students upload and we'll bring out our professional video crew to feature these students in a video and help like kind of grow their cause and and hopefully get lots of eyeballs on it and we'll have a couple thousand people look at, look at the impact. So um, if they wanna just do the curriculum in their classrooms, it's on the website. Complete program, can register for that on the website. And then just the keynote presentations where it's like more of a, a motivational kind of kickoff or a pep rally um, that is all available there as well. Wow. Sarah, <laughs> you are crushing it. I mean, obviously your performance in sport, yes, you're representing a country. You are you know, serving everyone, but it's still you doing the thing. Seeing this shift towards this philanthropic type effort and making this tangible impact in all of these people's lives is so awe-inspiring. So please just continue with that. Thank the you. world needs more Sarahs. <laughs> <laughs> so moving on to question three is how do you balance work and life? 
Um, hmm. <laughs> not sure I have that figured out yet. Um, I mean, I'm a really big scheduler. I like to sometimes like the night before I will like write out, okay, what are the things like my to-do list is like, as everyone's is endless, but I'll like pull out <laughs> the things that I definitely know I need to do and then give time slots for them. Like, do I think this will take 75 minutes? Do I think this thing will take an hour? I know I definitely have to work out for four hours. So I'll block off that time and really planning it out helps me see and be honest with myself what I think I can actually accomplish that day. Um, and then for things that are important to me, like if I know I, I haven't seen my friend in a while and I want to put them in for a dinner that night, it's just kind of like that's pulled out as one of the priorities from the, from the long list when I'm planning the day. And it, it gets a certain time slot and it's up to me to find a way to either be comfortable with saying no to something else or maybe having a really kind friend who's willing to shift or change to a different day or whatever it may be. Um, so I think really taking a look at the broader perspective in list form helps me mm -hmm. and then pulling out the priorities and giving it a time slot helps me like stay focused and on task um, to make sure I'm accomplishing all of the things that I want to do in my work, in my training, in my social life, with my family, with my boyfriend, who's very supportive and very lovely, that will help me with some of that balance. <laughs> oh, that's good. Yeah, you need that yin to your yang, especially if you're always in it moving forward and mm -hmm. you know, moving all these mountains, right? <laughs> Do you use any apps or anything like that? Or is it just straight calendaring for you? Yeah, I mean, I use the Google Calendar app. Uh <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Yeah. No. I know, there's so many cool innovations that come out. So sometimes there's things that you've just never even heard of Right, before. no, yeah. certainly. I, I'm just not that cool, I guess. I was using like a <laughs> an in-hand like day timer up until like a year ago. Like, really? I needed to touch it, feel it, see it. And then when I started like just doing more and more and on the go kind of stuff, I just needed to... I needed it to be digital so I didn't have to have my book like beside me at all yep. times. <laughs> but my phone definitely is, so. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I hear you. I'm sitting here with a whole bunch of post-it notes. But yeah, if yeah. I didn't have everything in my, in my I was going to say computer, my mini computer, my yeah. cell phone, I would be totally lost. <laughs> <laughs> all right, question four. Can you tell us about a difficult moment in your life? And now I know you just shared mm -hmm. that big epic story of... Your yeah. stress fracture, but I feel like you've probably come across a few other difficult moments. Yeah. I mean, the stress fracture, sure. What I'll say is probably the more difficult one is was was not making the Olympics in 2016 because for the last four years, I had been known as Sarah Wells, the Olympian. And now Sarah Wells, the Olympian doesn't make the Olympics. And for me, that was a really tough, tough moment to come to terms with that and and I remember when we left the track after, you know, it was finalized, I had got fourth, I knew I wasn't going, I couldn't go into the house that we were staying. So we pulled into the driveway and I just, I couldn't go in because to me, leaving the track, pulling into this, this driveway of the, the house we had rented for the Olympic trials, it was just like, if I went in that door, it was over. It was officially over because... The last time I had left there, I had said, you know, like, next time I'm here, I'm going to be a two-time Olympian. Next time I walk back through this door, I'm going to be, like, on my way to winning an Olympic medal. And, and now I wasn't. And so instead of going into the house, I just kind of opened the car door and fell onto the driveway and laid in fetal position and just cried and cried. And 
my poor father who had Aww. driven me home just kind of like got up out of the car, tears streaming down his face as he stood above me because there was nothing he could do, nothing he could say, nothing anyone could have said to make me feel better in that moment because it all felt like a waste. And I had poured in my heart and soul into this next goal where I was like, no, sorry, can't come to that big event, family, like I have training because I'm going to the Olympics. And no, sorry, friends, like I will be going home early tonight because I can't stay out and party. I have this goal. I will be going to the Olympics. <laughs> and now I'm not. And so in that moment, it truthfully felt like such a waste. Um, and coming out on the other side, I now realize, you know, after going through that really tough place and dark moment, I realized that it was never a waste because I can now relate every single person I've ever spoke to mm -hmm. because I have made some tough choices and I've got back up and I've been so resilient and I've believed in myself so strongly. And I've had the triumphant finish where I make it to the Olympic games and it's awesome. But then I've made some tough choices and I've like got back up. I've been so resilient. I've believed in myself so strongly and it just didn't work out. And as much as in that moment, when I laid on the driveway, I was so scared my friends weren't going to like me anymore, that no one was going to listen to what I had to say, that the world was about to be flipped upside down, it, nothing really changed. <laughs> and so I can now empathize with no matter who I'm speaking to and share in that kind of moment or feeling of, you know, the choice of getting back up, the choice to believe in yourself so strongly and really be able to empathize on how they feel with, did they get their desired outcome or did they not? And what does that feel like? And what do I remember that feeling like? And how did I pull myself out of there? So mm -hmm. I can be a better source of inspiration. I can be a better mentor or coach or um, friend, whatever it may be, because that's what I want to do now. I want to use that story to help impact others. And I want to use it to help motivate different people or help other people get out of their dark place. And so um, I think without that obstacle, without that tough moment of laying on the driveway, like physically shaking and crying, then I wouldn't have been able to guide people the way I, I hope to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that really resonates, especially for people who have that quote unquote achiever type personality mm -hmm. that, you know, I, I would say I have too. Um, I used to have such a fear of failure. Mm -hmm. I used to, you know, do really well just in general. I, if I put all my all into something, I knew it would land. It would resonate. I'd get a decent mark because I knew I was doing the right things. Yeah. And it wasn't until I would say like young adulthood that things just went sideways in a few different ways. It didn't matter how much I threw at it. It just didn't pan out. And now I see failure as such a gift. Mm -hmm. And that is truly the opportunity that challenges you to look at things differently, to approach things differently, and reflect on how you approach those difficult times. Yeah, How you act and how you get out of those difficult times are the things that really help define your character. Mm -hmm. So Certainly. Like you said, as, as high achievers, I think it's so often once you achieve a certain level of success, you assume that's the new baseline. Yeah. Like, this is where I should be now for always. But it's like, mm, well. <laughs> Wouldn't that be great? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And like success isn't linear and it's always up and down and it's more coming to be comfortable with the idea of the fact that there will be down days that there's no reason for me to have worked out that day when my hamstrings were tight, when everything was going great. Like, why did I feel that pressure to continue to work out and I think it came from that that fear of failure of letting everyone down. And so instead, we need to kind of understand that, you know, 
just because we've achieved a certain level of success doesn't mean we need to stay there forever and for always. There can be down days. There can be bad days. There can be mistakes and bad choices and whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love that. Success not being linear. It's a Mm -hmm. really good way to articulate it. Yeah. And it's on those down days or when those mistakes happen that inspires the most creativity. Mm -hmm. I love that. Cool. All right. So moving on to question five is who or what inspires you the most? Um, I would say my siblings. I love my siblings so much. They're the best. Um, I'm sure everyone thinks that about their siblings, but I think mine are. Um, <laughs> Family shout out. Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, my eldest sister, Athena, she was, she's eight years older than I am. And she's there's a 10-year span between my youngest sibling, myself, then there's another sister, and then my eldest sister, Athena. So there's four of us, 10-year span. And not often is an elder sibling, 10 years older than the youngest sibling, mm-hmm. really close with their that sibling. But my sister Athena, when she was 18, she finished high school and she went down to Nicaragua where she did eight months there. And she kind of worked in a community and really saw the importance of family and saw the idea around, um, you know, how much it helped like everyone flourish as long as you work together and you stayed together close as a family. And so when she came home from that trip, she kind of instilled that into us where she was kind of like, nope, we're family. <laughs> we need each other. This is how this works. And so I'm 10 years old. My sister, who's 18, wants to hang out with me. And I'm like floored. Like, I think this is incredible. Aww. And my younger brother, who's eight, you know, was even more so. And so the four of us um, would plan siblings days where just the four of us would hang out no matter what, like without my parents. And Athena was really the the reason that we did this. And because she treated my sister Stephanie that way and Stephanie treated me that way, I just assumed that's how I treat my younger brother. And then it was just like became this thing where people were so weirded out by my relationship with my siblings that we were so close and we were so supportive and we were so like, we never really fought and we never really were. We were just, I don't know, I I feel so lucky and so inspired by my siblings to like be that type of person that like I can, that I want to be someone that people can count on. And that's the way I absolutely feel about my siblings. What a great tone to set, Athena. I mean, I feel like that doesn't happen all the time. I mean, I hear so many friends and things like that who have dismal at best relationships with their siblings. You know, it's just almost like a like a trope. Like, Mm -hmm. oh, they just are bickering with each other. They just cat and mouse. And, you know, it doesn't happen. And how often did you have sibling day? So they would be at least like every other month when we were younger, as we got older and people were away, then less so. Um, now we probably just FaceTime every week as our siblings Aww. hang out. <laughs> yeah. So the other day, like a few days ago, I was on like the you know, new group FaceTime. That's right. The, it's the best. That's group so FaceTime. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> Boom. Because my siblings are all over the place. One's in Sydney, Australia. One's in the Arctic. One lives in Pittsburgh. I know. Crazy. That's hardcore. It must be hard for time zones. <laughs> yeah, certainly. There's like a slot of day when everyone's awake. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, this, this interview is so heartwarming. I just feel so happy now. I'm like, I just feel so cozy. Like I have a sweater around my heart. It's so sweet. So, so wholesome. Yes. <laughs> um, and speaking of wholesome, I was actually curious because I, I know you're a sponsored athlete and Generally speaking, how do athletes receive sponsorships? And maybe this is a totally ignorant question, but 
do athletes get approached by companies that say, you know, hello, we like you, you're doing really great things and we want to give mm. you stuff or money or whatever? Or is it the other way around? Do athletes apply to certain organizations? Yeah. So I think there's a misconception around the idea that both the public and athletes have that, yeah, you do well and then then sponsorships come to you and flood in and you're supposed to be awesome and they need you kind of thing. <laughs> they don't just throw free shoes at you. Yeah, <laughs> that's like what people definitely think happens. But yeah. <laughs> I competed at the Olympics in 2012 and then I almost retired from sport in 2013 because I had no funding and I had no sponsorship and I had nothing to help me continue doing this sport. And the Canadian government gives you some funding, but it's like below the poverty line. Like you cannot wow. live off that shit. Sorry. Um, no, it's fine. That's so, <laughs> fine. This is. <laughs> yeah, I'm used to like youth yeah. PG rated. Yeah. Um, We're good. We're good. But, yeah. So you, you don't make enough to make a living or survive and afford to train and compete all, all over the world. Is and that so, federal or provincial? Um, yeah. Because yeah. it's like the Canadian. Yeah. Um, sport governing body that would provide you your funding. Got it. Um, and like in some sports, it's like worse than others. And so like, I don't, yeah, track and field's not even the worst case scenario. So I can't, there's probably some athletes that are there like, yeah, sure, but you're getting this much. I'm only getting that much. So, you know, there's a spectrum, but still it's it's below the poverty line and it only gets worse from there. Um, you just have some frowning shot, but person yeah, in the yeah. corner <laughs> being like shaking their fist at you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, um, it's it's not ideal. Um, and if you're doing really well, if you're a medalist, sure, yeah, you might have some sponsors knocking on your door. But largely, if you are mid-pack, you are maybe an Olympic semifinalist, you're maybe top 15, top 20 in the world. You could even be make the final. You could be eighth in the world, and you probably still wouldn't get that many <laughs> sponsorships at all. Um, mm. And so it really is up to the athlete to create a brand. And I mean, that's you know, that's marketing 101 these days. It's like you have to have a personal brand, whether you're an athlete or you're just like you're someone out there trying to create a life for themselves. You're a musician, you're a salesperson who needs to be the best on the team. Like you need to create your brand story of what that looks like. And so mm -hmm. for me, that largely evolved through my speaking. Um, and I have been provided opportunity and have been really fortunate to receive a good amount of sponsorship or some type of support outside of the government um, support simply because I am out there in the community and I'm sharing a message that I feel strongly about that um, is feels authentic to me. And I think people feel I am being genuine about it. And so they see a value in that and want to be associated with it or myself and my mission and my journey towards excellence, whether that's Sarah Wells, the Olympian or Sarah Wells as part of the Believe Initiative. And so um yeah, through doing that, I have received some some support and I'm grateful for them. And I'll provide some shout outs to them, like Royal Bank of Canada. They're amazing. They sponsor both me as an athlete as well as the Believe Initiative. Um, I was with Nike for a while and then signed with Puma. I'm currently with no one for a shoe contract, but um, <laughs> no shoes potentially working on that. Yeah. Um, and Mercedes-Benz has been amazing, yeah. provided me with a smart car for the last like four years that they gave to me in sponsorship. And um, it's been, I, I love it because it's like, I feel like a Polly Pocket like, driving around. It's really great. Um, Is it tiny? It's so tiny, oh, but like cute. not as tiny as it looks from the outside. But definitely still pretty toy car-y. that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. I got to see a picture. Yeah. <laughs> After this, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. Mm. Very cool. Yeah, it's one of those things that 
average people we just don't know about and we've we just assume we just assume that you you get all this thrown on you yeah no that's first as did i i thought i was gonna finish the olympics and have people like reining themselves like here please take this yeah yeah just a parade of dollar bills yeah right. you know, with you and your your medals exactly. uh, <laughs> and, and what gets you more nervous by the way because you do a lot of public speaking which is typically the thing that everyone's afraid of but you also compete in the olympics yeah. right so very small not nerve-wracking things at all <laughs> um so certainly competing at the olympics or like for any race really i'm far more nervous because like i said with my event specifically 400 hurdles it is one of the most painful events in the sport of track and field <laughs> and so i'm most nervous for the idea of the fact that i'm going to have to run till i throw up and so i'm like so scared for the hurt that's going to come along with it mm. when i'm about to get up on stage sure my heart rate may, might race a little bit before i get up there but I'm not going to have to throw up at the end. So I hope not. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> so no, largely more nervous, like definitely more nervous for running than speaking. Makes sense. Yeah. yeah. You don't need a pitch perfect moment there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so funny when you first said here that hurdles is the most painful sport. I'm literally just picturing a lot of bruises yeah. from knocking into these hurdles. Yeah. Uh, how, how often do you wipe out on those? I mean, I've had a, a good handful of like bails, but... Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that there's like a frequency where you're like, okay, yeah, every two weeks I bail. It's like pretty <laughs> rare, but like when you do, you can have an epic face plant. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I remember trying it in university for just a rotation or something. Yeah, and yeah, I saw some pretty pretty good wipeouts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, moving on to question six, which is, what is the most adventurous thing you have ever done? Hmm. Maybe something in the month of September. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I know. Well, yeah. So this past September, <laughs> um, my boyfriend and I went to Bali and we climbed a volcano mm. that is, I guess, active-ish. It wasn't like blowing actual um, like volcanic ash or yeah, that probably lava, wouldn't be the, the but it was still thing. like steaming and was relatively active. And so we climbed that and watched a sunrise, which was pretty adventurous and fun. No. So we started the hike at like two thirty a.m., which was crazy. And then you're up there for like the 6 a.m. sunrise, which is wild. Wow. Yeah. That's pretty cool. It's it definitely something like, I haven't done in a while. Oh I mean, in a while, ever. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah, it's like almost what, a three hour ish hike? Yeah, it was supposed to be, well, I think it's supposed to be like two and a half. Maybe we did it in like, we, we like didn't want to stop at any of the checkpoints. We're like, no, to the top. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we did it, I think, maybe in like 90 to like just under two hours. Even your vacations are hardcore. <laughs> <laughs> We made it a competition. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> we want to make sure we got the best seats. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, man, that's so cool. Do you yeah. remember the name of the volcano? Um, I want to call it like Ben-Hur or something. I should look it up because... <laughs> Ben-Hur. <laughs> yeah, this is terrible. Oh, that's cool. Um, yeah, look it up. Yeah, if you ask me the next question, I'll, I'll know. I'll, I'll come back to it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Batur. That's what it was. Mount Batur. Almost been her. <laughs> B-A-T-U-R. Yeah. See, it's almost been her. Oh, that's so cool. What's your next trip? I don't know. Um, too far away from off season, I guess. I really think about it. <laughs> yeah. You're like perfectly kind of in the middle almost. Yeah. 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 Fair enough. Uh, I'm always thinking about my next travel anytime yeah. I, I can. So that's so cool. All right. Question seven. What do you attribute your success to? Um. Honestly, the people around me, I definitely contribute my success to them. Um, from like my high school teacher, Dave Hunt, seeing me in gym class, 
telling me to do some track and field, him. The University of Toronto, that was my support system that, you know, through injury after injury, never gave up on me, like always believed in me in the times that I couldn't, um, created the environment that allowed me to be successful and helped mold me into the human being that I am. Um, as I mentioned, my, my siblings and my my parents, like my family, that's kind of always been there for me, always helped support me, um, really, you know, made the moments of magic, like far more worth it because you get to share it with those people. Um, I've had, you know, like boyfriends of the past that like have been there through that journey and like really good friends that have always been on board with, you know, the, the choices I make towards my goals of saying like, no, sir, I can't come to your birthday party again, or like, I won't be in the country again. And, um, having just these people that are really supportive of my goal and share in my triumphs and are there for me in those heartbreaking moments. And so all my success, I wouldn't be the same without them. That's a great acknowledgement. It's true. I mean, again, some of these things, especially if you are a bit of a public figure, it can be easy to just say like, I, I am doing this. This is my goal and mm -hmm. and stay pretty insular. So it's great to hear that support and acknowledgement that it, it takes a village. Yeah. An Olympic village. Uh -huh. <laughs> a serious village. Yeah. A serious village. Um, and w with that village, mm -hmm. um, is there anything surprising that happens behind the scenes and elite sport anything that you've seen or whatever you don't need to call out any names but i'm just yeah no, that's fine <laughs> um i don't know i think something people enjoy hearing is like what the olympic village was like yeah um, i've heard i've heard things <laughs> yeah i know so everyone read that article before the olympics happened i was like how many condoms did they order what does this mean <laughs> and so like i read that heading into the village and was like oh my god what am i gonna witness like what's gonna happen <laughs> <laughs> and it was nothing what I thought based off that article. Like, I mean, you're in a enclosed community of just like some really great bodies. So <laughs> that's definitely a thing. But you kind of just like sit in the cafeteria and like watch people walk by and just kind of think like, what sport do they do? Like, what do you think? <laughs> and it's just like this. It's like great people watching. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, by no means was it this like wild party. I don't know. Um, but... The village is like basically apartment buildings of each country. So all of Team Canada, every sport would be in one building. Team USA would be another building. Team Australia would be in another building. Like Jamaica would be in over here. And so you're kind of all in this big community. You share the same cafeteria. You share the same like like weird fun playground things. Um, Did any of the buildings have like a reputation like that's the party building or that's like the quiet the, like, one? Thing. <laughs> I don't know. Um, <laughs> You know what? Maybe I'm just not cool enough to know, but yeah, I personally <laughs> didn't know that. Um, but there's just like food everywhere you could imagine, like little stations set up outside your door that they'd have like crackers and cheese and you'd have like toast and a bunch of spreads and like different like pop machines where you just basically scan your Olympic card. And instead of putting any money in, you just like click the button, it would dispense whatever you wanted and mm. just like endless things. Um, so the village is like just pretty cool because you just kind of like walk around this like enclosed community of just like crazy wild names. Like I I met Kobe Bryant, um, not in the village, but just outside the village in between wow. this like tunnel that they had all the athletes walk through. So we didn't have to get like mauled by 
people asking for autographs and stuff like that. So when we would walk from like kind of like one venue to the next, we would walk in this like secret tunnel and I walked next to Kobe Bryant. And I was like, holy shit. What, what was he doing there? Just <laughs> Well, because we were on our way. I had raced that night. Mm-hmm. Um, I had done the semifinal and Usain Bolt's 100 meter final was that night as well. Oh. And so as I was walking through the tunnel after my race, Kobe Bryant's walking through there because he had just went to go see Bolt's race as well. <laughs> You're like, oh. Yeah. Oh, hey there, yeah. Hey, hi. <laughs> That's so cool. Mm-hmm. And have you ever felt a difference in treatment uh, being a woman in elite sports versus your male counterparts, either in the way you've been coached or the way people have reported on you? Mm-hmm. You know, I honestly, I've been really fortunate that I've I've been very well respected and I've never had yeah, I've, I've been really lucky to have a very positive experience. Um, and I think the sport of track and field is already kind of a sport that doesn't get a lot of glamour to begin with. So it's not like the male athletes are getting like all of this limelight. Um, the men's hundred meter obviously is the premier event. And, and certainly that contrast between the men's hundred meter and the women's hundred meter is pretty substantial. And I think they might have a different answer for you than I do. But if I compare like direct comparison, men's 400 meter hurdles, to women's 400 meter hurdles, we're both getting pretty like nothing. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I've i been lucky that in the arenas that I've been a part of in the circles and, and support systems that I've had, I've never, I haven't felt anything that's made me feel um, kind of discriminated against or, or and I think I'm, I'm in a sport that's kind of discriminated against and like only showcased every four years. And mm-hmm. I mean, the Olympics is, I mean, the uh, track and field at the Olympics is like, the event you know like there's like it's the thing people know happens at the olympics and Mm -hmm. we don't see any of that money like we work our asses off for Mm -hmm. years and you know just for the pride of it all and and i'm grateful to do that and i'm like still so fulfilled by that um but i think the sport itself maybe has uh could feel a ways about being discriminated against or not getting the the respect or support or um like financial benefit that it should but uh, I don't think that there's a clear line I could draw between men's 400 hurdles, women's 400 meter hurdles. That's good to hear. Mm-hmm. I know even when we were in school, we were talking a lot about sports in the media and how female uh, or, or women competing in sports were described as being graceful and elegant and those types of adjectives mm-hmm. and guys were you know had more like male dominating ones like so strong and yeah fierce and all of that Fair enough. yeah i guess there is some of that like certainly there'll mm-hmm. be a comment more so on the look of a female athlete that i've noticed in my event or maybe someone said something mm-hmm. to me like there's an event of me behind my blocks, like staring down the track, like getting ready to perform so intense. And they're like, wow, you're so beautiful. It's like, oh yeah. So the last thing I was thinking about while I was there. But but I guess like, I don't know. I've never let that bother me that much. Mm -hmm. And I, maybe just because I've been so focused on like what I need to do to get to my goal, that it's just something I haven't, taking enough time to reflect on or, or, or see about how much that, or the frequency that that happens. Um, But for the most part, yeah, I feel I feel pretty fortunate about to be in my position 
Yeah, that's, I mean, that's a good thing, mm. especially that it hasn't been something that you, that has been so noticeable that it's affected you. Yeah. I was just curious from an observational perspective. I mean, I doubt you have so many people going up to male athletes saying, wow, you're so beautiful. Yeah. I mean, you never know. <laughs> I'm sure there's plenty. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it's a thing. I mean, you are a babe, but. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Showed up here in my toque feeling really fly. No, yeah. you're you're good. You're just repping Canada. It's yeah. good. It's good. L- literally, you're wearing your Toronto versus yeah. everybody. Yeah. <laughs> you are patriotic today. You're good. Okay, let's move on to question eight, which is what item or items could you never live without? Um, Sugar. <laughs> really? <laughs> oh my God, I'm such a treats person. Really? I just tried to do, my boyfriend and I tried to do two weeks without eating a treat. Like we weren't going to be like crazy where if sugar was added to something, we were going to like not eat it, but we weren't going to have like any outright don't eat dessert kind of thing. I failed twice. I had to restart Ooh. twice. <laughs> yeah, that would be me. I'm really bad at that. Yeah. Oh. No, I love sugar and treats. And and maybe it has to do with how much I run as well, that my body just like craves it and wants it for like the extra calories. But I don't think so because when I'm not <laughs> running in that month off, I'm still like a psychopath for treats. So yeah, I don't think I could live without sugar. <laughs> yeah, I wish I could say that as my excuse. I just run so much. I just need to have more treats. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, what's your What's your favorite treat? Oh, like icing. So like cupcakes. Wow. Yeah. Like if I could just dip my finger in a bowl of icing, I could just do that. Like that would be fine. <laughs> I know it's terrible, but, and I don't just eat icing that much. Like I definitely did a few <laughs> yeah, weeks ago. But, yeah. <laughs> but no, I like cupcakes or like chocolate chip cookies. Oh, I love chocolate oh. chip cookies. Yeah. Oh, man, you're making me hungry. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Treats. Done. Yeah. Great. <laughs> And in question nine is, is there anything you'd like to promote? So I know you've given a few shout outs, but here's a good area if you just want to aggregate whatever you like, any social media, any websites, anything you want to throw out there. Yeah. For like more following along, I, um, all my social media handles are at Sarah Wells 400 MH, which stands for 400 meter hurdles. Um, so yeah, at Sarah Wells, Sarah with an H. S-A-R-A-H, Wells, W-E-L-L-S, 400 M-H. And so you can follow me along there. We release like motivational videos every single week um, about different topics, um, all part of the Believe Initiative video series about like ambition or making mistakes or discipline. Um, And I really enjoy what the posts we get to make there. And then the website, thebelieveinitiative.com, like all of our content and programming is on there. And if people have an interest to... um, have it in any way, whether it's like with their their team and their their coach or if they're a teacher in their classroom or um, I even also do 20 uh, corporate gigs a year usually at this point uh, where I use my keynote and, and help inspire offices to um, understand the importance of being resilient and the power of believing in themselves. That's so great. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. And this is so lame of me, but I've seen your social media for a while and for the... <laughs> Only till recently did I realize it was <laughs> 400 meter hurdles. I was like, 400 miles per hour. Oh, hilarious. <laughs> just in my brain. You know when your brain just automatically reads something yeah, yeah, yeah. and interprets it? I was like, oh, this is this is totally not correct. That's and I feel so funny. dumb. Anyways. No, you shouldn't. That's actually good. I'm going to start telling people that now. <laughs> You're like, yep, 400 miles per hour. Yeah, yeah. Try, try to beat me. <laughs> are, are you working on any new projects or anything exciting on the horizon? Um, 
largely with the Believe Initiative. Um, mm-hmm. So we're running programming. Um, also, we're doing a pilot project with the Rotman MBA students. Mm. And um, so we're doing something with 10 MBA students and 10 undergrads, graduate students at U of T. And so that will be a really cool form of programming where it takes like our learnings that we've had with middle schools and high schools and and how we can tweak that and help it impact students at the post-collegiate level that are really going through similar things where we all struggle with that self-doubt and that anxiety. And um, it can be crippling at times, especially at times of transition when we're growing up. And I remember, you know, I still don't think I have like my life really sorted out of like, what am I doing? (laughs) Oh my God, imposter syndrome. Like I shouldn't be here. Everything's terrible. Mm -hmm. So how we can kind of help create some type of support for athletes going through transition, through students going through transition. Um, And so that's a really fun project. That sounds amazing. And (laughs) you just mentioned all sorts of themes that we've heard a lot on this podcast already. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's such a normal, it's it's ironic how normal it is for us to feel like we shouldn't be doing the things we do or we shouldn't be experiencing or enjoying the success that we have worked so hard for. So those are great resources and excited Mm -hmm. to hear this continuing to to spread broadly. Um, I have a couple last questions before we move on to question 10. Um, Curious about your pre-competition routine. Like what is your thing that you do before you hit the stage or before you hit the track? Mm -hmm. So before every single race, I eat a peanut butter and banana sandwich. It has been... (laughs) My race ritual forever. Like, I, I don't even know when it started, but yeah, I eat a peanut butter and banana sandwich. I know it sits well in my stomach. I eat it two hours before. It, like, has worked well. <laughs> I've seen it help me run fast. Um, so that's, like, for sure a staple. Are you crunchy or smooth? Smooth. Gotta go smooth. <laughs> don't want the extra digestion time waiting, holding me back. Is um, it a grape jelly or another jelly? <laughs> no jelly. Oh, sorry. No, it's Peanut a, banana. Banana. No, sorry. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, know I heard. <laughs> That's fine. You went for the classic. It's no, good. No, I know. I went. Yeah. I just, in my brain, I'm just picturing classic. Yeah. Um. <laughs> no, no, no. So that's like every single time. Nice. I don't necessarily do that for every single speech. It feels mm-hmm. less. <laughs> less necessary you're like great now i'm just bloated (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. exactly um but yeah peanut butter banana sandwich every time awesome and then do you listen to anything do you do anything in particular physically aside from that Mm -hmm. so i've also i have a bit of a superstition to listen to the exact same first three songs of my warm-up which are all about believing so the first one is yolanda adams every single race since 2007 till now my first race i listen to when i start my warm-up is yolanda adams believe and it's from the honey soundtrack from the movie honey super lame if anyone goes and looks it up they're gonna be like oh wow but every single race since 2007 i've listened to that song it's the first thing i run to in my warm-up um so that's the first one and then i go with um chris allen um who sings um, no boundaries, another great one. And in 2010, entering the circuit was the Believe song by Nikki Yanofsky, who sang the Believe for our 2020, 2010 Olympics for Canada when Vancouver held them. And so those songs, like every single time, I have to listen to them before every race. 
Wow. Bit of a weirdo. No, that's great. (laughs) They've done a lot of research, though, to show that, you know, if you have something, a trigger that Mm -hmm. puts you into the right type of headspace, that your mental toughness is higher. It's increased, yeah. Right? Yeah. Literally just it it gets everything going. Yeah. 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 That's that's so cool. (laughs) Who knows? Maybe we'll add a fourth song to the rotation. (laughs) It'll come down. There's like, yeah, some stuff that will mix in and out but yeah. yeah just be like hey beyonce it would be great if you made a song called believe or yeah. something like that with the main motif it'd be very convenient Come justin on. bieber's got one but it didn't make the list <laughs> yeah sorry dude yeah <laughs> do love justin bieber though yeah yeah <laughs> and any do you have any running tips for non-olympic athletes um, regular folk <laughs> listen to your body um you're not going to be a hero overnight i think small gradual increases is important mm. My sister always tries to go from like zero to hero so fast. She'll like do no running for months and then just like run a 10K. And she's like, oh, my knees hurt so bad. It's like, yeah, I think I can figure out why. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I see that all the time. I mean, it seems like marathons have become a bit trendy. Like a lot of people get on that bandwagon. Mm -hmm. And these are people I I never see go to the gym. And, you know, we talk about workouts, especially like at work and stuff. Um, We talk about when we we work out and things and they just they're they're like, nope, nope. But hey, I'm going to do a marathon Mm -hmm. tomorrow. Yeah. What? (laughs) So funny. Hardcore. Yeah. Cool. All right, well, let's wrap things up with question 10, which is what is a lesson you learned the hard way that you'd like to share with our listeners? Um, I mean, to really tie things all together here, honestly, I think it would be about the importance of believing in yourself, like the power of believing in yourself. I think on like in everything I've done, it's it's that support system, like I said, and it's it's the environment I've been so fortunate to be placed in, but it's also the fact that I'm willing to believe in myself enough that I I put that stake in the ground of like, I am going to do this thing. And I don't necessarily know how I'm going to get there. I don't necessarily know the resources I need. I don't have the plan all figured out, but I just kind of decide that if anyone can do this, it's me. And, you know, I, I believe that so strongly that I have the word tattooed onto my wrist. <laughs> and I think that that's really like my main message that like you have to understand the power of believing in yourself. And so often we think it's for, we think it's for young people. We think it's for kindergartners. We think it's for people who don't understand reality yet. And it's just nothing could be farther from the truth that, you know, if you are the person who's who's willing to believe so strongly, you likely will find a way. And And you might not actually get the outcome you thought you set out for, but you'll get something else that's like, justice fulfilling that leads you down the next path you were supposed to be on but taking those first steps requires that sense of unwavering belief wow not only is that such a powerful sentiment it also seems like a really effective trigger word too mm-hmm. you know by having that visual representation right on your wrist it's just that word that can take you instantly into that headspace at all times yeah it's actually it's a tactic that i like to use with a different trigger word too that just gets you right on track love it what's um, your word drive love it yeah and sometimes i have different trigger words for different things mm-hmm. right and sometimes those trigger words in my case change but it seems like yours is so so effective yeah. So amazing. Thanks. Yeah. Cool. Well, Sarah, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on. You have inspired not only me, but all of our listeners too. And it's been a blast. Yeah. Thank great you. to see you. Thanks for having me. 
Thanks for listening, everyone. Find us on Facebook at Legit Lady Podcast. That's L-E-G-I-T-L-A-D-Y Podcast. And on Instagram at Legit Lady Podcast. On Twitter at Legit Lady Pod. That's Legit Lady P-O-D. And please rate and comment on iTunes and anywhere else you get your podcasts. If you love what you hear, share it broadly and proudly. Thanks, everyone. 